On September the 19th, 1961, around 10.30pm, Betty and Barney Hill were driving back to Portsmouth from a vacation in Niagara Falls and Montreal. Barney was employed by the United States Postal Service, whilst Betty was a social worker. Both were active in the local Unitarian congregation, and Barney sat on the local board of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. They were an interracial couple at a time when it was particularly uncommon in the United States. Barney was African-American and Betty was white. When travelling just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, Betty claimed to have observed a bright point of light in the sky and reasoned that she was observing a falling star. Only it moved upwards and appeared to be getting bigger. Betty urged Barney to stop the car for a closer look, so Barney pulled over at a nearby scenic picnic area just south of Twin Mountain. Looking through binoculars, Betty saw an odd-shaped craft flashing multicoloured lights travel across the base of the moon. She thought she might be witnessing a flying saucer. Barney reasoned it was a commercial airliner travelling towards Vermont from Montreal. However, he soon changed his mind because, without looking as if it had turned, the craft rapidly descended in his direction. This observation caused Barney to realise that the object he thought was a plane was not a plane. They quickly returned to their car and drove away. Approximately one mile south of Indian Head, they claimed the object rapidly descended towards their vehicle, causing Barney to stop suddenly on the highway. The huge, silent craft hovered approximately 80 to 100 feet above their car and filled their entire field of view through the windshield. Barney stepped away from the vehicle and moved closer to the object, where he claimed to have seen about 8 to 11 humanoid figures through the craft's windows, wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. Barney ran back to the car, and in a near-hysterical state, he told Betty, "'They're going to capture us!' He saw the object again shift its location to directly above the vehicle, Barney drove away at high speed, telling Betty to keep an eye on the craft. She rolled down the window and looked up. Almost immediately, the hills heard a rhythmic series of beeping or buzzing sounds, which they said seemed to bounce off the trunk of their car. The automobile vibrated and a tingling sensation passed through the hills' bodies. Both Betty and Barney then claimed that they experienced an altered state of consciousness that left their minds dulled. A second series of beeping or buzzing sounds returned them both to full consciousness, only to find that they had travelled nearly 35 miles south with only vague, spotty memories of this section of road. Aliens Explored is a weekly podcast exploring famous and obscure cases of UFO sightings, alien abductions and other strange events from both a believing and a sceptical perspective whilst keeping an open mind. I'm Stu Jackson.
a professional actor and amateur ufologist with a particular interest in the crop circle phenomenon. I'll be debating that otherworldly visitations are real. The truth is out there. And I'm Neil Kelly. I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view. I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Hi everyone and welcome to Aliens Explored. Um, I'm Stu Jackson and I'm here today with... Neil Kelly. Hello Neil, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? Uh, yeah, really, really good. Um, so this might not be the case for the listeners, but we're actually still in lockdown. So we're, we're actually doing this over the phone, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah. In fact, uh, today is the day when people have started um, coming out and going back to school. And uh, I, thought, well, I don't know when you'll be listening to this, but that's what's happening as we're recording this. Um, and the scientific advice seems to be that we're all going to end up back in lockdown, right, right back to square one. Yeah. <laughs> as a result that's certainly the opinion um and it's interesting before we get into this particular case uh that we're going to talk about today which is betty and barney hill um i'm i'm going to be very very interested to see if the lockdown and um our current situation affects the crop circle phenomenon that will be interesting um i, I suppose um if i mean a, a few years back well probably quite a, a lot of years back um some hoaxers came forward and said that they'd made them all and um of course if, if that is true if you're doing it with a bit of rope and a plank and and, and tramping down someone's crops well I suppose you can do that socially. At a, you can do that from a safe social point of view, can't you? From a social distancing perspective, that is one thing you, you can say. Could, do. Um, but I think you know. I'm, I'm inclined to think that if and and it's a big if, and and hopefully we'll cover uh, some crop circles in future episodes because it's a real real passion of mine. Um, I mean, I don't believe for one moment. I, I believe that there are some crop circles that are made by humans. I think that mm. is absolutely, absolutely correct. Um, but I think the majority are not. But that's that's a whole different topic. But if, as the media would have you believe, all crop circles are made by human beings, then they've got to be affected. You know, we'd we'd see a massive drop in the number of crop circles because of the current situation. I don't know, would we? Because they occur in rural areas, don't they? So it's quite easy to just jump in your car and go out at night and go and make a crop circle. It doesn't... The fact that people are locked down in their house, in fact, it makes it easier for you, doesn't it? You're less likely to be discovered doing it. Well, that's... Uh, don't know, because anybody out and about are more likely to get spotted and picked up or questioned um, mm. and things like that. I mean, from a from a believer perspective, there is another side to this, of course, uh, which, as you as you absolutely rightly say, it happens quite a lot in rural areas. In fact, it's um, it usually happens within sort of twenty miles of where I'm where I am at the moment. Mm. It happens an awful lot around Wiltshire. Well, by, by definition, if it's circle. happening to a crop, then it's a, a rural area. <laughs> 
Ah, no, that, that, they don't just appear in crops, but that's all. That's all of the. Uh, yeah, no, they appear in ice. They appear in sand. Uh, yeah, no, that, that's that's a very deal. Oh, that's a whole other trail. That is an entire other episode or mm. indeed series, right there. Um, but no, the I think the because they are are happening so rural, it takes people to spot them for us to know about their existence. Um, and indeed, crop circles can appear and, and be there for days without oh. anyone being aware of them. That's that's not unheard of. Um, so if there are fewer people about, even if they aren't being created by human hand, um, then we still might see a dip in the reporting of them, just well, by the fact that they're going unnoticed. But also, isn't there? A, there must be a seasonal aspect to them because crops are planted at a certain time of year in the spring, and they're harvested in the autumn. So it's got to be a kind of late summer, early autumn kind of phenomenon, hasn't it? When when the crops are there, uh, there is a a seasonal aspect. You're absolutely right. Um, they have a tendency to start appearing in May um, and go through till August. Hmm. So, so now is the time that we would start to see a surgence, uh, or within the next week or so, because we're actually well, we're recording this uh, the beginning of June. Um, yeah, you would have, yeah, you would have normally actually you would have normally seen a few by now, um, but I've not heard of it. it. Doesn't mean to say they're not out there just because I haven't heard of them. I'm mm. not, I'm not omnipotent. But I would imagine farmers might tell my yes. partner. I imagine farmers tended to their crops would have noticed them. Um, yes, but but you say tending, they don't go out to them daily. And no. certainly on the bigger farms, you know, they can go weeks without. That's the great thing about crops, you plant them, uh, our weather waters them quite regularly, or, yeah. or quite often on farms they have automatic watering systems. Yeah, they only go out to them if there's a problem, usually. So, so who typically um, spots them then? Who, I mean, if farmers aren't aren't going out and seeing, depending them. on their location, mm. um, they're either seen from the roadside. Uh, you you might see them in the distance as you're driving past, or very often it's aircraft pilots who report them. I was going to say, yeah, people you know, flying light aircraft or gliding clubs, paragliders. They're going to notice yeah. things like that, aren't they? They've got the best view of it. Uh, well, and ironically, um, across vast rural landscapes is where you get quite a prevalence of, of light aircraft. Because mm. that's where it's most fun to fly, I suppose, where it's most picturesque. Yeah, if, if you've got people learning to fly, they're doing their, their basic pilot's licence, um, which is not without its risks, you probably don't want them flying over urban areas, do you? <laughs> as much as possible <laughs> many years ago for my 40th birthday although in spite of the fact I've got an absolute morbid fear of flying mm. um, my my then well now ex-partner um, got me a flying lesson for my 40th birthday no we did actually go over <laughs> urban areas mm. <laughs> but I was uh, I was terrified to turn the plane or anything it was, uh, <laughs> but, you, but you went through with it you, you did it yeah, gritted me teeth, and uh, yeah. yeah, I, I think I she got me a, that because that's what she wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I once had a um, 
a helicopter lesson. I was uh, traveling in New Zealand and this bloke came up to me and he said, um, do you want to go up in my helicopter and um, you can hang out of it with a shotgun and go and shoot something. We'll just sort of fly around and shoot something. And I said, well, no, I don't, don't really fancy that, but um, I wouldn't mind. But he said, well, how about a lesson then? He said, it's quite easy to fly. And, it's... and uh, so I said, yeah, okay. And it was this tiny little craft. It was this, um, basically, we, we, we sort of carried it out the hangar. It was on a pallet. And we just sort of carried it out the hangar. And um, he did the takeoff. And with a helicopter, you have to kind of take off like a plane. You have to sort of fly down the runway at a low level and then take off like a plane. Otherwise, um, you'll terrify the people in the in the control tower when you just suddenly appear on their radar. They have to actually see, have to actually see you taking off. And um, it was it was easier to fly than I'd been led to believe. I thought, well, this is easy because you've got, you've got a, a handle next to you that's like a handbrake in a car. And when you pull that up, you go up. And when you let it down, you go down. You've got um, you've got the two pedals in front of you, which kind of turn it, and you've got a, mm-hmm. a sort of joystick which enables you to to steer it when you're actually going along. So it is possible to crab sideways in a helicopter with the combination of pedals and, and gear stick. And I thought, well, this is easy. And then he said, okay, well, let's try hovering then. Just hover at this bit, and that's really difficult. That's a really <laughs> difficult thing because it's so over it's so sensitive. You you feel yourself drifting, so you you, you compensate because you slightly overcompensate. The next thing you're flying down the runway at fifty miles an hour. <laughs> you call that hovering. <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like absolutely terrifying. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm, you, you realize just listening to that, I'm sweating. <laughs> and and it was it was an unbelievably small craft we were like in a it was like the two of us were in a smart car together imagine a smart car with a with a little tail mm. and a rotor above it that's pretty much what it was yeah that 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 helps okay <laughs> i think i needed how to think of water now but uh, it's interesting you say about the radar tower and, you know, when you're suddenly appearing on the radar, yeah. it'll terrify them. No, yeah. because they're so used to seeing UFOs. Well, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, suddenly, well, and you literally are a UFO. <laughs> oh, yeah. In the truest Absolutely. definition. Absolutely. Well, in the, in the yeah. definitive definition, yes. Um, so on that note... I'm going to use that as a segue to bring us into our topic today, which is the Betty and Barney Hill case. Yes. Uh, from back it way, way back in the day, 1961. Um, now, this is obviously this is an interesting case because this is the first, certainly widely reported, uh, UFO abduction case. Mm. And it's uh, got a lot of fame and notoriety from that particular aspect. Um, but obviously, we, we've we've gone out and we've done our own little reading up on this in advance of the, of the podcast. Uh, so, as our our resident naysayer and sceptical, or, or I, I think I mean, that might be a bit strange. It's fair to say, certainly, that you're new to this this world of aliens and strange occurrences yeah um, but what was the first thing that struck you about this case um I, I think um actually the first thing that struck me was that in 1961 they were a mixed race couple 
traveling together um that that kind of, I, i'd always tended to think of um ufo abductions as affecting sort of very rural people um white people white single white men um who lived in rural areas and and also coincidentally had a a previously existing obsession with UFOs and the paranormal and such. Um, and then suddenly they report they've been abducted. So here we have what was, as you say, it was the, the first really, um, it, it was the case that set the tone for all the, the, the alien abductions. And it happened to a couple. Um, the mm. other thing that struck me, I, I suppose other things I've got to consider this is um there's a military intelligence aspect coming in um one thing you know if you're if you're making a report of intelligence is um the more the more um the more far from the truth or or the more far the further from someone's um prior expectations your information is the less likely they are to believe it if mm. you're telling a general that um there's a there's a, an enemy regiment over the other side of the hill and he'd already thought thought, thought they pretty much if you're confirming what he already thought yeah he'll he'll believe that without a doubt if you tell him that oh actually it's a it's a it's 10 divisions it's a whole army over there he might not believe you he'll he'll want to verify it so i, th- I think with the with the whole ufo thing when someone reports that they've been abducted or they've had some kind of contact with extraterrestrials that the first reaction is to look for possible down-to-earth explanations of what was going on and and there usually are all sorts of other factors i mean i think um the first thing about about um ufo contacts or these experiences that um they rely on on eyewitness accounts which are the the least reliable form of of information um in those days people didn't have they didn't have camera phones or anything. That's a very, very recent phenomenon. So uh, it, it was just their word for it. Um, another aspect of this case is that um, although the, yeah, for a long while they were puzzled about what had happened, they'd seen this strange light in the sky. Um, they, they, they'd become dopey and then woke up. They'd been driving along in their car, but then they, they somehow lost consciousness and then woke up 35 miles from where they'd last checked further down the road. <laughs> with um yeah their watches had stopped their sh- barney's shoes were strangely scuffed and betty's dress was ripped and two hours that neither one of them could remember um what's what is a- another suspicious aspect of it is that when they did remember it was through sort of hypnotism through recovered memory mm. which as you know has had a very bad press in recent years um, being used to convince children that their their parents were satan- satanists who'd uh, who'd abused them in all sorts of unbelievable mm. ways. Um, yeah. So it's quite a discredited way of of getting information out. So that there are these aspects. There's also, I think, um, the time in our history when it happened. It happened in 1961 at a time when the world was, for one thing, fascinated with space. Um, we we had just started sending men up into space. I think Yuri Gagarin had been up into been into orbit by this time and the Americans were racing to catch up. So the mm. space had suddenly become threatening. Basically the enemy had managed to, to put things up there. Um, but also this this is something that had been going on since the nineteen 
fifties or since since the jet age, the atomic age. Um, you notice it with horror films, the kinds of things that scared people in those days. In the 1930s and 40s, yeah. it was all sort of Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, that kind of thing. Suddenly in the 1950s, all the horror is based on alien invaders. It becomes very, oh, very... Oh, absolutely. Or, or nuclear was the other one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, like an atomic bomb goes off and all the ants are suddenly, you know, <laughs> 50 foot tall. Um, <laughs> that kind of thing. But... Now, I, I would ascribe that, and I think that's a, that's a very important point, that it's only in relatively recent years, because there have been reports of strange things in the skies for hundreds, mm. even thousands of years, um, but it's only recently that we've talked about them being from space. But that's So if you look back a thousand years ago, when people were obsessed or, or ascribed Anything they didn't understand to being, well, that's the, the will of God or mm. that kind of thing. So everything was given that label or it's a devil, it's a demon, you know. Mm. Um, now, if you like, space has become the new God. It's, it's the thing that we all focus on, as you rightly say. Uh, so that becomes our automatic answer. It's, it's the box that we automatically put it in. Now, mm. as much as I'm a believer, at no point do I say, okay, it's aliens from another planet. I think mm. there are other possibilities than just that one. And I, in fact, I, I believe that um, the, the truth is going to be much stranger than anything anybody can imagine. Mm. Um, but coming back to um, what, what you pointed out, you, you say the first thing that struck you was the fact that they're a mixed-race couple. Yeah. And in 1961, uh, sorry, yeah, in 1961 in particular, um, that was not a terribly common occurrence. No, I mean they weren't um, they weren't living they're... in the they weren't living in the deep south, but you know, it was it was still the age of of segregation. It was before the civil rights movement. It was a, a difficult time to be in that kind of relationship. Well, they were interestingly. I mean, well, it's I think unsurprising given their personal circumstance, but uh, but it's certainly interesting that they were both civil rights advocates. Now, looking at at the case from a purely investigative point of view, you look at the motive, the means, and the opportunity. Hmm. Now, in terms of motive, do you think the fact that they were an interracial couple harmed their motive? For let's let's argue that maybe they created it all but wouldn't that harm their situation make them less credible within society well uh, not so much them being less well yeah maybe less credible but i'm also thinking um if a mixed race couple in america at that time would want to keep a low profile they wouldn't want to suddenly go to the press with a made-up story that gets their picture on the front pages of the papers You know, that, yeah. that's because um, uh, there'll be a lot of people who'd see the story and they'd see the picture and the picture will be all they'd take away from it. There's, there's this mixed race couple living in our town and uh, maybe something ought to be done about it. So they'd want to avoid the attention. that, And, and again, a lot of people, when they say, oh, yeah, so-and-so has been abducted, but claims to have been abducted by it. Yeah, they're just doing it for attention. Mm. In fact, that attention would have been more harmful to them 
it, it would have been. But people do things that are harmful to themselves, don't they? They they do things where you say, well, well that well, that makes no sense. There's a, they can't even they can't even give you a good reason why they've done it. They, they'll just get angry if you start start questioning the logic of their their decision. Um, but there doesn't seem to be any history of that with with them as a couple. I mean, Betty no. was a, a social worker. Um, Barney was a you know he worked for the post office. Yeah. Um, you know they, they were they, they were you know strong grounded community people. They mm. um, you know like I say they were both um, civil rights advocates and they they worked very hard. I think um, Barney was on the local board of um, of a civil rights commission. Um, yeah, I. When we look at motive, you know, why would a person make something like this up? Well, um, actually, I'm struggling uh, to think of any reason why they would. Here's one. I'll float. I'll float this one by you. They both had quite okay. stressful jobs. Um, as a social worker and as a post office worker, they're probably not earning that much. Um, and this is the beginning of the age of television as well. And they might have seen people appear on television and get a lot of adulation and fame and sponsorship and suddenly they become very very rich or, or much better off than than they are um there could have been a financial motive to it let's let's just make up this story and uh, become celebrities and 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 be on tv a lot be paid to be on tv you know we're, we're 1961 you're right at the beginning of that kind of age of uh, Okay. Um, now you 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 mentioned about the, um, the the famous situation where they were questioned under hypnosis. Yeah. Wouldn't that? I mean, as much as um, hypnosis is uh, it's discredited and it's not considered a a certainly from a legal standpoint. Yeah, recovered memory is yeah, very dodgy indeed. Yeah, I mean, I know it can be guided uh, quite easily, but but given, and again, you know, coming back to this idea, you know, it's 1961, you've got to think in 1961 term, terms, hmm. some of the things, particularly Barney mentioned in his abduction recollection, um, you know the the uh, the anal probe for uh, exist, for example, uh, the fact that he thought a sample of his sperm had been taken. Hmm. I can't. I, I'm inclined to think that if they were going to make it up to, just for fame, it wouldn't include that kind of detail you wouldn't want to just be known for that mm. not in 1961 when you know everybody is still much more uptight and and less open about these things um, I find that a strange because that if, if you were going to make it up hmm the first thing you will think is, well, hang on a minute, that sort of thing, even if it occurred to you to say, you know, that's going to, what are people going to say about me? 
But the thing is, they are going to say something about it. They'll take a prurient interest. Oh, you were anally probed. You were sexually abused. That's interesting, isn't it? And all right, people do bear their souls on television. You said, what's, what's there's a television program where people who go, people who are too embarrassed to go to the doctor with a problem appear on television and show it. I've, I've forgotten what the program is. Okay. Yeah, I've only, I've only become aware of it. I don't, I don't really watch it. But, um, but there is that. Yeah, if you want the story to sell, you need to, you need to spice it up a bit, don't you? So I guess an anal probe will do that. And it's become part of UFO law, hasn't it? All these people have been abducted and had been anally probed for some reason. Um, well, part of that is the media. Um, fixating on that aspect obviously there are there are many many cases of alien abductions that don't Mm. include uh, that kind of thing but um, I mean it's not the only case Uh, that's absolutely true but um, yeah no that that is more of a media fixation and and all the the things that were done to them you know are, are all things that either wouldn't be noticed or, or, or could be explained away. Um, they, they, they plucked strands of their hair, took clippings of their nails, and scraped their skin. Um, uh, Barney's shoes were scuffed. Betty's, uh, Betty's dress was torn. Well, I can think of all sorts of ways those kinds of things can happen. Absolutely. With a, with a, a couple travelling. Um, yeah, there's nothing to say. Well, I mean, if the aliens had done something to them if they'd implanted some kind of device that enhanced them or or you know fixed a, a medical condition that uh, that was beyond terrestrial medicine yeah that that would be something but that's never happened has it no one's ever come back and say look i'm going to live to be a, a 250 years old because um the aliens have done something to my the way my my body um ages Okay. No, one's ever, that, I mean... no, no one's ever come back and said, look, I've got this more advanced pacemaker for my heart now. No. Well, um, okay. No, moving away briefly from the Betty and Barney Hill case, mm. um, there are many, many, many uh, thousands of cases of uh, people with um, implants mm. that have come back from what they claim is alien abductions uh, with things implanted into them. Really? They found the, these implants? Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll cover those in a, in a future episode. Yeah, I'll, I I'll find I'll, that interesting. Got, <laughs> obviously, I've got a bit, yeah, got a bit uh, of reading to do. Oh, you've got so much reading to do. Uh, <laughs> I envy you. Um, yeah, so, okay. Uh, do you know what? All right, I can accept the idea that, that they've created this story to gain fame and a bit of fortune. Mm. Um, but another place where it falls down for me is the idea that they didn't go out and seek any... They were very open about their experience, and they would talk about it plainly with people who asked, mm. but they didn't go out and seek any fame or fortune from it. Um, well, they must have told someone, because you know, they're, they're famous and they're, they're, they're down as their... Yeah, the 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 model for uh, an alien abduction. Something. Um, uh, yeah, I mean they are the they fact are, reading. The f- 
But yeah, the that... first place they discussed it openly was at their church. And mm. that was uh, a good year and a half later, something like that. Yeah. That was their first public. Mm. Um, the first time they even it, that it's known of that they talked to anybody about it privately. Um, there was a guy from the Air Force uh, who visited the church that they attended. Um, and uh, I believe, yeah, Barney uh, spoke to him in private afterwards. But, but that was November of 1962. So that's mm. over a year later. So surely th- this event happens to them, or they claim this event happens... Why yeah. would they either wait over a year before talking to anyone and wait nearly two years before talking publicly about it? Or alternatively, why would they make it up and say it happened really long ago? Yeah, um, and also the fact that it's in church. I mean, I know Americans are generally more religious than us Europeans. They're, they're more likely to go to church. Um, so I, I guess the fact they're going to church and telling their story and going to Bible classes doesn't necessarily mean that they're religious fanatics, it, perhaps in the same no, way no, no. In, in, in England. But um, it, it could be that their story was seen as blasphemous. I mean, maybe it started out as, uh, you know, we felt the presence of the Lord kind of story, this, this bright white light, the Virgin Mary. and Maybe it started out as the Virgin Mary and then became a, a flying saucer. Oh, apparently it was a terrifying experience. I don't think they would have seen it as a, a positive yeah. um, celestial encounter. A negative yeah, it, uh, religious experience, that's a different hypothesis, mm. but certainly I don't think they would have seen it as um, as being anything benevolent. But, you know, church, when it basically you're, 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 the, 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 main, the main document you're referring to is the Bible, which was written at a time when nothing virtually nothing was known beyond our world that we we people genuinely did, did believe we were at the center of the universe everything rotated around us it was it was official doctrine it was blasphemy to to say otherwise um the vastness of the heavens um was unknown well when this happened 1961 we're just at the beginning of the age when or well, astronomers knew more about the vastness of space but it's just coming into the into the public consciousness just how big space is that there are that all those stars you see out there are basically the sun is a star and all those stars you see are other suns all with potentially with solar systems of planets around them and we know because we've done it that it is possible to travel in space Mm. that we're developing better and better ways to do it they're talking about going to the moon Uh, Probably, they probably started talking about that at this time. Uh, oh, um, yeah. When was uh, when did Kennedy announce that, you know, well, make his promise that man would get to the... It was roundabout then, wasn't it? It, it would have been, yes, because, or I mean, the Soviets were the after? first... They were the first to put an object into orbit with the Sputnik. Mm. Um, they had the first man in space, uh, Yuri Gagarin. So I guess the Americans had to be first at something so they decide well we'll be the first to get to the moon i mean 
Apparently, yeah. a, a little aside here, um, you know, declassified Soviet documents that have been released um, show that uh, Yuri Gagarin wasn't the first man into space. He was about the fifth. Um, right. He, but he was the first one to come back in one piece. And uh, ah. the, the, the guy before him, who I think survived, he, he, he lived for a while, um, but he was, in a t you know, he was totally busted up, was um, a, a guy called Ilyushin, who was the grandson of the, the Ilyushin aircraft designer. So, but I mean, the, the reason the Russians were able to get into the space faster than the Americans was because they were willing to take bigger risks with the lives of their cosmonauts. And they were happy to send them up um, with a rocket um, fired by liquid fuel. The Americans weren't. They were, they, they were taking their time to develop a safer solid fuel. Um, so it's not, <laughs> it's not a surprise to hear that in taking these risks, um, those risks were actually realised that they lost a few cosmonauts before they before they got one into orbit. So um, interesting. Yeah. Well, okay. uh, the the Russians hadn't worked out how to um, how to land a capsule when a capsule came back from space. They didn't know how to slow it down; that it would be coming through the atmosphere faster than a bullet, several times faster than a bullet, thousands of miles per hour. And they couldn't slow it down. I mean, if you just try and open a parachute on it, that's just going to rip off. Um, and it was the Americans who actually developed the retro rockets that would you know, cause a reverse thrust, which would slow the capsule down enough so that a parachute could be deployed without being immediately torn to pieces. Um, Russian cosmonauts had to climb out of their capsule and, and jump. They had to <laughs> come down on their own parachute. That was the only way they needed oh, to do it. You can imagine the speed they're travelling at. But the parachute would be sturdy enough to, to arrest the, the, um, the weight of a, a human being travelling at that speed where they couldn't arrest the weight of a, a space capsule. We've digressed. We have digressed, yes. <laughs> it's very, it's very um, difficult so to stay on topic. Oh, no, di digression is good. Um, because there, there are so many but, aspects to it. Yeah, we're talking about... You know, all, all the sort of cultural references, all the scientific references, um, uh, psychiatric references. It, it's that, that's why the Betty and Barney Hill story still fascinates because it does contain all these elements, all these different explanations. Um, one of the things that we can refute, um, interestingly, uh, you know, we said uh, just now that. It might be they made up the story and made it up to be in the past. Yeah. Uh, we can actually refute that because uh, just after it happened, they reported it to their local Air Force base. That's right, yes, because they were, they were frightened they'd been exposed to radiation. Um, yeah, there's that element. There's... Uh, they didn't want to give all the details at first, apparently, because a fear of ridicule. Hmm. But uh, but subsequently did on on various interviews with the US with the Air Force Base. Uh, it was Peace Air Force Base was their local one. Um. So that means yes, they they reported it. So either they make it up or it happens, kind of hmm. one or the other. 
They report it to a US Air Force base. Otherwise, keep quiet about it. A year later, Barney talks to a visiting Air Force official in his church Mm. about it, but on the quiet. And quite some time after that is when they talk about it openly in their church. Hmm. So there's quite a a gap of time. So so again, coming back to this this theory that maybe they did it for fame and fortune. Why would they wait so long? Well, um, <laughs> the the explanation that springs to mind is if if, he, if they made it up for fame and fortune, that means it never happened. That nothing happened to them back in September 1961. So the first time they started telling a story. Um, about some light in the sky was um, a year later and um, maybe they just you know they developed the story they embellished it over time so by 1964 they had a a tale to tell but obviously they're going to set it way back when they were on this when did you see this well where's a time when we were out together on a lonely road with no one else around no one else who can um, deny our claims or contradict us um, well, yes, it was when we were coming back from our honeymoon in September 1961, and we were just racing home to try and beat a hurricane that was on its way. So, if you take that, then there's not such a time lag. It's it's the it's the time lag when they first between when they first speak to an air force officer about some phenomenon in the sky, to a few years later when they suddenly come up with the fully developed story. Um, I mean, as a, writers of fiction do that, don't they? They'll come up with an idea and they'll mull on it and then suddenly one morning they'll wake up and think, oh, I've got a story. But why... So That's fact, but, but the day or a day or two after the event, they've mm. reported it to their Air Force base. And there's a yeah. record of that. It's report one zero zero dash one dash sixty one air intelligence information record. There you go. <laughs> okay. Get all the facts on this show. Um, yeah, so there, there is a record of them reporting it. So again, and why the so so? It, they, 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 they haven't reported something. I mean, it was a while before they put it in the past. It, it was a while before they were helped to remember that they'd actually been in an alien craft, wasn't it? And use help to remember in, in inverted commas. But, um, I mean, Barney Hill was um, a World War II veteran, wasn't he? He was an Air Force veteran, um, very interested in aircraft, a, a, an avid plane yeah. spotter. Um, I think it would, it would take quite something for most people to, to go to an Air Force base and report something. If they'd report, they were looking, you know, they, they'd seen something in the sky because remember this was also a time of great um, cold war paranoia when was the um, when was the cuban missile crisis oh well, that, uh, that was a year or so later wasn't that's it that's a good the, question the, the the bay of pigs fiasco was um was in 1960 uh, yeah that was uh, october 62 yeah so yeah the following year you got the oh the missile bay of, sorry but, bay of pigs uh, was just before this happened. This yeah. was in April of the year it happened. 
So, I mean, for a couple of years, America had suddenly found itself with a hostile neighbour, albeit a neighbour that doesn't really have the capability of doing them much harm at this stage. Um, they've tried to to bring it back into the um, into the American fold because it's now firmly in the Soviet camp, um, and that attempt has catastrophically failed. Um, I think that had quite a fa- e- even though it wasn't an, of- an official American military operation, it was a bunch of Cuban Cuban mercenaries basically who were going to try and depose Castro. Um, but I think Americans still felt a sense of it. Certainly, uh, the mafia felt a sense of it, didn't it? Because uh, Havana was their kind of offshore, offshore playground, mm. their gambling center, the 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 the, the, yeah, the playboys' um, playground at, at that time, and then, and that had been lost. So it it was kind of on the on the American radar. I think planes used to get hijacked as well. Planes would get hijacked and taken to Cuba, wouldn't they? Well, yeah, so but also very much on the radar with the yeah. military at the time was UFOs were, were well, you had Project Blue Book going mm. at the time, uh, which was the Air Force's study into the UFO phenomenon, um, which it was being taken very, very seriously mm. um, but, by the uh, military and by by the government. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think there's 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 a correlation between. The numbers of, of UFO sightings or extraterrestrial experiences and the general level of public interest in those things, which was, you know, it, it was it was peaking for a, it, was, it was it was coming to the fore for the first time. And there was there were very real world um, threats around the the, the the skies were no longer safe. The Russians could get into orbit. Um, the Russians had taken a central well, a, a Caribbean, taken over a Caribbean country, as they, they probably saw it. Um, the threat was very close. And and nuclear weapons, of course, were, were now um, part of the everyday conversation. Yeah, the next war was going to be a, a war of annihilation. And, but yeah, and then there's all this science fiction that's, you know, all, all the horror, every time they went into a drive-in movie and watched a, a horror movie, it would be about aliens coming to land in flying saucers. And then suddenly they see a flying saucer, have contact with aliens. So there's that. I think this will probably be for a later discussion, but certainly interest in, um, certainly UFO spottings seem to have declined, um, or one commentator said, since 9-11, because suddenly people are worried about something else. Uh, In actual fact, no, they've increased massively in the last few years. Okay, well, you've read a different report. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and certainly video footage has increased massively along with it. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely a different report. And that will be interesting to, to discuss, yeah. compare reports. Um, because you, you think the video footage, I mean, that puts a higher burden of, of proof on, the, on someone mm. who spotted a UFO. You, you can't just come in from the fields and say you saw a strange light in the sky or you this yeah you, know, you you had a, a video a video camera on you why didn't you get some footage um so yeah if 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 they're increasing then that that's um that's a strong argument in their favor isn't it but that's that's the thing though it these these reports have been happening all the way through but they've mm. been ascribed 
to different things depending on what's on the. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, we uh, a lot of people during that time would see UFOs and you know think it's the commies. Yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, um, it's it's a big thing. So let's um, let's summarize what we we think about Betty and Barney Hill then. Um, so so for me, all right, I, I get your point. Um, that it's possible their motive for creating this was for fame and glory. Hmm. Um, but it just, the, this, this time frame of when they talked about it publicly hmm. and it happening, uh, it, it's, it's too long for me. I, I don't see the sense in why they would sit on it for so long. Um, add to that as well. The, the air force, um, if they didn't believe what the Hills said when it was first reported to them, they believed that they were telling the truth. Mm. And, you know, we're not, we're not talking about secret agents here getting one over on military personnel. We're talking about normal, upstanding members of the community. Mm. Um, so, so that, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm, I'm of the, I'm of the belief that they do believe what happened to them happened. Mm. I think perhaps over the course of time, their memory of what happened to them might have become a little bit muddied uh, and swayed by media or books that they've read. Um, There's a whole thing we've not discussed about Betty having uh, a recurring dreams about the incident. Um, that might have swayed certainly Betty's memory of it or her talking about her dreams might have influenced Barney's recollection. I, I you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to accept that, um, it might not be the way they tell the story, you know, mm. in full, but I'm also, you know, you've got things like, uh, the damage to Betty's dress. Uh, there wasn't just the tear in it. There was the this um, alleged pink powder that, that she noticed on it and then washed off, but but it left damage on the dress, and then the the dress oh. is then sent for examination. That's convenient. There was some evidence, but I washed it down the drain. I, but I that's did what bring... people would do. Um, oh, there's pink, that's probably there's what they would have done. On, and, yeah, probably what they would have done then, but I think now, especially with all the sort of CSI programs or whatever, if someone had had an experience like that and had some memory of it, and there was some substance that they couldn't explain or identify on their clothes, they would keep that, wouldn't they? They put the clothes into a plastic bag. Oh, absolutely! And, and indeed, indeed, they do. Um, yeah, yeah, the uh, kind of like a Monica Lewinsky kind of. Yeah, and and especially event, if they were worried that they'd been exposed to radiation. You've suddenly got this unexplained material on your clothes. Well, that could be radioactive dust. <laughs> that could be seen as an argument for wanting to wash it off as quickly as possible. Or, or, or an argument for, for not being able to... You know, you, 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 it's, a, it's a hole in your story. Um, and you've got to somehow fill it with saying, oh, well, I didn't really think, I just washed it off. And I think it, on a, it on is, a sp- but there's... There's, there's so, so like I say, summarizing this, this back up then. Um, mm. so there's, there's all these 
little bits of things that that pile up. There's the the damage to the car, um, mm. that that suddenly making compasses go haywire when they come near it. Um, all these little things just adds up. They, I think something happened to them, and I think it was something not entirely unlike what they've described. But possibly that's just been muddied over time. Yeah. But uh, it, it leaves me believing that they're absolutely telling the truth. I, I think um, on, on a scale, well, one end of the scale, it's it's what happened is exactly as they described it. That that's that's a, a, a full and 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 true account of what happened, all the way down the scale to nothing happened at all, and they they made it up for whatever reason. Yeah, it probably is somewhere in the middle. Something happened to them. Um, but there are all sorts of other factors that would, by which they would interpret or understand what happened to them. So, I think, um, as 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 we we said in our in our introduction to this program, um, I'm less likely to accept their version of things than you are. But um, I, I can accept that something happened to them. Do you think that something was otherworldly? Um. Possibly. I mean, we know now that there are billions of planets out there and billions capable of supporting life in the solar system. We know that space travel is possible. Um, so, yeah, who, who, who knows? We, we have landed on other planets, so it's, it's got to be feasible that someone's landed on ours. It's just... It's, it's just... It, it's... I think of it, if you think of it in religious terms, Christians fully accept that a virgin gave birth to a child. If a virgin came into the church now and said, I'm, well, if someone, a woman came into the church now and said, oh, I'm, I'm pregnant, but I'm a virgin, she wouldn't be believed. No. So it's, yeah, I'll, I'll believe it in this context, I'll believe it in this story, but I, I don't believe it when I see it face to face. And you would think, well, even even if Mary was a you know a, a virgin and gave birth to a you know a, a godlike child, who would who would have believed her? Unless there was a unless there was a, a sort of cult of people ready to believe it who've been waiting for this. Unless it's it's um it's a story that's already going around. It's already some kind of legend, and uh, I think that with the UFO thing, um, the 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 ground was primed for this. Okay, so uh, very much then, the jury's out on Betty and Barney Hill. Um, why not send us a tweet, a Facebook a message or a Facebook post and tell us what you think. Uh, are there any particular aspects of the story we've glossed over? Anything that we've misinterpreted, do feel free to share with us. I uh, hope you enjoyed listening. Um, don't forget to listen again and where we will be discussing the Phoenix Line. Aliens Explored is a Fecal Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter or Facebook by searching Aliens Explored or visit us on AliensExplored.com.